afternoon from the racing capital of the world, Speedway, Indiana. My name is Nick Sturgeon, your host. Thank you for listening to episode 55 of the Cyber.Now podcast, your number one spot for learning about tech, cybersecurity, politics, and policy. I want to thank our show sponsor, Delta Research. Again, cannot thank them enough for their support. I also want to thank all of you who are listening right now and taking time out of your day. As I always say, time is the one resource that we do not get back and are not guaranteed. I really appreciate you spending that valuable resource on this podcast. So I know it's been a couple of weeks. I've been gone. Haven't got a episode out again in about two weeks. I've been busy traveling, taking the middle daughter to space camp down in Huntsville, taking her down, then coming back. Also, that weekend that I took her down was my 20th class reunion. I will tell you this, it was a good time. Most of these folks, because of Facebook and other social media, I've been able to keep in touch with somewhat, kind of passively, not really active for the most part. A couple people here and there. One of the guys that I went to school with, I've actually let park at my house for the uh, Indy 500 a couple times, Carb Day a couple times. Never really ran into each other, even though he was parking at my house. We'll always go to Carb Day and the 500. So never really got a chance to to see him in several years that that has been an option. And as I was talking with one of my classmates, you know, I think the reunion or high school reunion thing, as it were, has changed a little bit because of social media. We're able to see our classmates, kids grow up. We see marriages, divorces, birthdays, and all that other stuff. And so really the purpose of the reunion is to get your class back together catch up, talk about the old days, if you will. And now that's kind of gone. But nonetheless, the reunion was a good time. You know, I have to say this. It was good to catch up with some folks that I was close with in high school that just because of life and the way the direction that everybody went just kind of fell off with keeping in touch. And hey, that's, that's part of it and it's part of life. So what are you going to do? But I'm back here today, going to get a quick little show in, not for sure what we'll all get into, but I did want to take some time while I've got some peace and quiet at home. It's been also busy with softball. My youngest is on an all-star team and pretty much outside of the weekend before and of the 4th of July, we've had games Saturday and or Sunday. So it's been busy, not a whole lot of time to prep. Not a whole lot of time to get a show recorded. And on top of that, during the week, the past couple weeks, I mean, I'll give a shout out to my buddies here. The other podcast that I am on, Books Over Beer, with my buddies Jonathan and Mike, been taking some time. We Because of my prior travel schedule with my former employer, Plus some vacations in the mix and some other life events. Just haven't had time to record. So we've really been trying to get that extra push and get some time set aside so we can record for that podcast. 
go check us out. We've recently recorded Yurtle the Turtle. Great episode. A lot of information that we were able to unpack. Very fun and educational all at the same time. This past week, we've recorded our episode on No Easy Day by Mark Owen. Haven't got a chance to go through and do the post-production. Working on it, probably get that done sometime this week and get that out the door here probably by midweek. That went a little long. It's going to take me a little while to get that through post-production, but also I got to do post-production on this one. That's probably why I'm just going to keep this episode maybe to 20, 25 minutes, and it won't take me that much time after I'm done recording to do the post-production part. Also here coming up from about 40 minutes, 50 minutes from now at the time that I'm recording this, a segment that I recorded along with Doug Rapp, who's a primary person in Delta Research, went to the WIBC studios here in downtown Indianapolis and recorded a segment for the Rob Kendall Show. Go give Rob Show a listen. You can find him on Twitter at Rob M. Kendall, Facebook. He does post a podcast version of his show after the show's If you are here in central Indiana and can listen to his show, it airs every Sunday, 1 to 3. You can also find him Monday through Friday producing the Chicks on the Right show that airs from 9 to 11. And then he is a regular on the Hammer and Nigel show, which right now airs from 3 to 7. But here soon, I think July 22nd, their show will be airing from 4 to 7 here in central Indiana on WIBC. So want to just give Rob another shout out. Rob is a good dude. If you remember, I had him on the show earlier this year. So if you want to go listen to that conversation, go back into the, the time capsule, if you will, and go give that show a listen. Okay, guys, moving on. I do want to say for those of you who are first time listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. It is my goal to keep you coming back week in and week out. If you are a returning listener, your continued support is so very much appreciated. And outside of listening, I ask only a couple of simple, small things, favors, really. And that's if you find the show's content valuable. Please go share the show with your network, subscribe, rate, and review. And then also go sign up for the mailing list at cybernowpod.com for the latest news, insights, and behind-the-scenes information. You can also go sign up for the closed Facebook group on Facebook, and also please go give the CyberNowPod Facebook page a like, and the Twitter page, and, and I think, yeah, we're on Instagram too. How could I forget that? All right, so a few things going on out there in cyberspace, and really this kind of is a, a follow-up to the... Last episode, when we were talking about Iran and the drone strike, or actually the drone being shot down in response to the drone being a little bit close to the the Iranian airspace. So this first article is that I'm going to talk about is from Forbes, 
It was published on July 6th, and the author is Zach Doffman. The title is Cyber Warfare Threat Rises as Iran and China Agree Unified Front Against the U.S. And the picture is uh, from the article is of an Iranian political figure as well as a Chinese political figure. And it begins, quote, the Islamic Republic of Iran and China are standing in a united front, end quote, claimed Iran's ICT minister, Mohammad Javad Azari Jarami, last week, quote, to confront U.S. unilateralism and hegemony, hegemony in the field of IT. For confront, read, offensive actions, and for IT-related cyber. Jarami followed this with similar comments in Beijing a few days later when he met his opposite number. God, this article actually isn't that well written, surprisingly, from a Forbes article, at least for me, and the flow of it just kind of, it's not not there. So I apologize. Um, number Miao Wei the minister discussed common challenges in the face of U.S. unilateralism, of which Jeremy said we are facing similar challenges, so we need to find common solutions. The Iranian minister accused the U.S. of spreading its hegemony on new strategic technologies such as artificial intelligence and criticized Washington's action against Huawei and ZTE. Huawei reported, reportedly stressed that cooperation between the two countries would help tackle quote, such threats and pressures. According to Iran state media, the ministers, quote, discussed ways to boost cooperation in the field of information technology, encountering threats in cyberspace, and agreed to establish a joint working group to survey and counter those threats. In May, China Foreign Minister Wang Yi told the media after meeting, in, or meeting his Iranian counterpart, Hamam or Mohammed Javad Zarif, that, quote, China is strongly opposed, opposed to U.S. unilateral sanctions and its prejudgments. China understands Iran's conditions and concerns and safeguards its legitimate interests. Quote, although some of the language can be interpreted as re referencing mainstream non-military IT interests, the context is nearly or is entirely cybersecurity related and comes as tensions continue to intensify and the cyber domain becomes ever more important. Putting any theoretical risk from North Korea handshakes included to one side, the greatest threats to security in the U.S. and its allies come from Russia, China, and Iran. The same is true when it comes to cybersecurity. China and Russia have long been the world's greatest villains, but Iran fancies a seat at that table. From a military perspective, there are clear links. Russia supplies weapons and proxy sponsorships to the Middle East, and China is now reportedly eyeing a more significant military role in the region. China and Russia also have both blamed the U.S. for escalating tensions with Iran. I'm going to go skip a couple paragraphs here and get into the warning issued by U.S. Cyber Command in the wake of its strike on Iran was to outlook users that a likely Iranian hack was targeting millions of unpatched systems. Iran doesn't need to counter hard targets to hit back. And so I'm going to stop there for a second. This is one of the other things we have to realize in today's age, that a response from a 
country or a even a non-nation state does not have to be kinetic. Kinetic meaning physical. It can include a cyber attack or cyber attacks or some type of cyber response. And though it didn't get much of light or attention, though we talked about it on this program, the U.S. did reportedly counter the drone being shot down with a cyber attack. And just as this article stated, and I want to make clear that a counterattack via cyberspace does not have to be targeted at a U.S. government facility, entity, or assets. It could be somewhere in the financial system, healthcare, academia, any sector or business or multiple businesses to do or have an effect that they're looking for. Whether it's to, to shut us down, to cause fear, doesn't matter. They can still do it to a number of different targets, targets that are non-military. That's a scary thought. When we look at prior history up until the advent of the internet, when there was a response, typically it was aimed at a military base or military asset. Now, occasionally you'd get some of these rogue elements that would go and hijack airplanes. I mean, that was a very big concern in the 80s and 90s. Not so much anymore. It still is, but I don't think it's getting quite the attention and it's not happening quite as much as it was, at least from my memory, back in the 80s and 90s. But cyber is a cheap, and it is in a very effective way to strike back. And because the lines are blurred on what constitutes a military action or an act of war in cyberspace, it tends to be a little bit more of a, an option especially as these guys get more sophisticated at it. And they could in, indirectly be involved by having some of these non-nation groups, non-nation military groups, go out and conduct the attack on their behalf. The very scary stuff. Um, I'm also going to play... So that article, again, was from Forbes. I'm going to play a clip from CNBC. And this is the interviewee is Hal Yan Song of Splunk. And I know I'm butchering her name. So Miss Song. And really, she gets into a little bit of the conversation here on, as it quote, or is quoted in the headline for the article, a new way for countries and nation states to think about their competitiveness in the military world. So we'll pick it up here. About 40 seconds into this a minute 53 second video. Another topic in the cybersecurity world that's top of mind, of course, is the role that uh, perhaps state-backed actors are playing. So those are those are you know hackers perhaps are backed by by countries. You know we've got a lot of tensions between various countries. Do you see that playing out in the cyberspace? I think just as a matter of fact, in just the last couple of weeks, right, uh, you've read probably a lot of the news about what's happening in between the U.S. and Iran and, and the conflict there and how a military action uh, got sort of 
diverted to just really becoming a cyber uh, action. I thought that was a really interesting, uh, game-changing uh, event for us in cyber and for us to think about geopolitical issues. And do you expect these, these nation-state attacks to, to continue and, and to increase somewhat as perhaps countries look towards cyberspace as a means of, of warfare? rather than perhaps your traditional thought of what warfare is? Um, the short answer is absolutely. Uh, I think this is really a new way for a lot of countries and nation state to really think about the competitiveness in the military world. So this leads into the next article from thehill.com. It's a opinion piece by Christopher A. Akovlia. Uh, he is a opinion contributor. It is titled The National Security Risk No One Is Talking About. It begins, Today's security threats continue to evolve as foreign adversaries and cyber criminals work tirelessly to influence U.S. elections, target and breach our country's largest companies, and steal the sensitive personal information of the American people. The government's responsibility to protect us from external threats is as important today as it's ever been. President Trump's national security strategy reaffirms this guiding principle by stating, quote, Our government's first duty is to its people, to our citizens, to serve their needs, to ensure their safety, to preserve their rights and defend their values. Policymakers in Washington are modernizing our national security defense to address today's growing threats. But a little-known government data collection initiative at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, threatens to undermine these efforts by creating a target-rich environment for cyber criminals and state actors such as China to steal the personally identifiable information, or PII, of every American who has money in the stock market. PII includes your name, address, date of birth, and financial information. So I want to stop there. So the first piece, the government's responsibility is for our security against other nation threats. I won't despite or dispute that despite anything. I, it is, in my opinion, their constitutional right to protect us. But in cyberspace, it gets a little bit crazy. A lot of the internet, or what we think of the internet, is privately owned. And borders pretty much don't exist. I can tell you from firsthand, all levels of government, government officials are really, really are having a hard time figuring out their constitutional role, or just any role for that matter, in cyberspace. And we look at these programs that the federal government or even state and local governments are doing that are collecting very, very sensitive information about you and I. And to tie that back into the issue with Iran and the fact that the government has a very piss poor track record of protecting our data. So by them collecting this information and not protecting it very well and the ongoing conflicts that are happening at the military level when we look at it from a, a physical or kinetic standpoint and wrap that all into this new day and age of cybersecurity or cyber warfare or cyber crime however just cyber in general 
and it is not looking very good or the outlook isn't all that positive. So if the option for these other countries is leaning more towards using cyber as a response and not a physical response, what would that look like? Well, again, according to this article, and this is uh, picking it back up a couple paragraphs later, it says Secretary of State Pompeo also warned that the Chinese are using cyber attacks to obtain information on susceptible Americans in order to recruit them as double agents. When foreign adversaries openly use this kind of warfare to advance their political agenda, the U.S. government must do everything in its power to protect its citizens from the threat they pose. So what, if we continue that train of thought, what do you mean they're the government's entire or do everything in its power to protect its citizens? Does that mean violating our rights by implementing more FISA courts? Is it spying on the U.S., keeping track of everything that we do on a daily basis to make sure China isn't recruiting us as double agents? That's been going on for years. It hasn't, these countries haven't needed the internet to do this. The internet makes it a little bit easier to do it, but doesn't mean that we need to give our rights up and be like, nah, government, this action is in violation of our constitutional rights. Looking at this from a libertarian or classic liberal perspective, you and I have responsibilities to make sure we are protecting ourselves and our families. It isn't the sole responsibility of the government to protect us from, in this case, the federal government's responsibility to protect us against a foreign adversary. We cannot just give up our liberties, our rights, because the government, those who seek power and control for power and control's sake, will use these type of threats to gain that power and control. Now, it's a problem. Don't get me wrong. But why is it a problem? Why are China, Russia, Iran continuing to come after us? Well, they see us as a threat. They look at our actions and how we're intervening in other countries and say, you know what? We don't want that. We don't want the U.S. to intervene. They don't. We don't want them to cause the damage that they're causing in these other countries. And as they continue to do and get a foothold in these areas, that poses a threat to us. And as a result, they go and do these other things. It's just this cat and mouse game. We do something, they do something in response. Then we do something in response. And then they, and you just get in this nasty feedback loop time and time again. At some point, we've got to say, yeah, what we're doing here isn't, really gaining us anything. It just gets us in this nasty, again, feedback loop that we we do something, they do something, and no one ever wins. But people suffer. Our economy suffers. And when we send military men and women to go fight these fights, their lives are lost in some cases, very tragically, and in some cases, needlessly. And we get into this a little bit over books over beer and our no easy day conversation, which again, give that a plug. Hopefully we'll have that episode out sometime this week where we talk about interventionism 
and more so how the U.S. was set up as a non-interventionalistic or interventionalism uh, philosophy or principle. Don't get involved in foreign entanglements because you end up into the mess that we're getting in today. Now, not to say that we're completely at fault for everything, but we've not made things better by getting involved. Okay, enough of that. So I'm going to end things on a little bit of a humorous foot, if you will. So I don't know if you guys have been seeing the social media sphere (laughs) on this pledge to storm Area 51. So Barstool Sports, if you're not familiar with them, you can go check them at barstoolsports.com. They're pretty funny. Cover some things. Pat McAfee here, former Indianapolis Colt kicker, punter, was part of them. Now he's on his own, blah, 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 but still follow them. (laughs) um, They put this this thing out about 10 o'clock on Friday. It says, update. There are now 400,000 pledged to storm Area 51 on September 20th. And they've got a picture from Independence Day. Apparently that by having this amount of people storming Area 51, that the government can't take on all of them. They can't kill all of them or whatever. But it has ended up into some pretty funny memes, both on Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) Um, On my own personal uh, Facebook page, there are just a little bit of a a small meme roll. And the memes that were posted by some of my contacts and myself are pretty freaking hilarious. I I posted in response to this when I shared the Barstool uh, blog post. I'm like, yeah, let me know how that works out for you. I lived in Vegas and uh, not too far away from Area 51. And I know there's a couple military uh, Air Force bases specifically that are out over there. Yeah. Again, let me know how that, that works out for you guys. I <laughs> just can't believe these idiots. Just cannot believe them. Anyway, if you haven't seen the the memes, go out and do a quick search. It will really give you a nice laugh. And with that, I'm going to call this show done, you guys. we I need to finish up because it's about time for my spot on the Rob Kendall show to, in that segment that I was talking about at the at top of the show. So I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks again to our sponsor, Delta Research, for their support. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can always go to the show's webpage at cybernowpod.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you want to get a hold of me directly, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore Polititech or the show's Twitter page at cybernowpod. You can email me at nick at thepolititech.com. Finally, if you think this show is worthy, go to iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform to subscribe, rate, review, and don't forget to share the show. If you guys do all of that, I will be back again next week to do this thing once more. Until then, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.